Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Uh, believe it or not, everybody, we are like basically one weekend away from putting the book end on summer. To me, Labor Day weekend is like the, it's, it's not officially the end of summer, but like, come on. When kids go back to school, it feels like, all right, that was fun. Time to get back to the grind. Like, and some of us, I, as I've been saying the last few weeks, are like, have been circling this day on our calendar for a long time. Because you're like, get out of my house. I love you. Get out. And so uh, as we get ready to wrap up summer, I couldn't think of a better way than just to talk about some of my favorite campfire treats. Sometimes when you go camping, having that campfire food is like amazing, right? So I'm going to take you through some of my personal favorites. The first one is with the pie iron. If you have one of these pie irons that you put in the flame, uh, it's amazing, right? You have, you have the big pie iron with a little bread on each side. One of these guys, right? You put some apple pie filling, some blueberry filling, whatever you want to do, put it in there, toss in some brown sugar. Diabetes, here we come, baby. It's going to be awesome. Then you got, if, if you're really like, you're going to go with the pizzazz on it, you put a little bit of like mozzarella cheese in there and not with the pie filling, okay? But like separate. So yeah, bread, bread, mozzarella, pizza sauce, and pepperoni. You got like your own little hot pocket. Super good. If you've ever done that, try it. You will guarantee to be burn your mouth, but it'll be worth it. Number two, anything on the fire grilled is better than just your normal propane gas grill. And I will not be told otherwise. Like if you have a if you have a blackstone or a smoker, like okay, I, I agree. Like you probably have better steaks, but there's nothing like throwing a steak, some burgers, some chicken over the flame because when you do that, the smoke rises up and gets all in the the, the meat pockets. And it just tastes delicious. Smoked meat is better. I'm just, I'm convinced of that 100%. Um, I have to confession to you, uh, I have not had one cob of corn this summer. What are we doing with ourselves? We have royally screwed up. Because corn in the summer is elite. And we have not done it this summer. So something is obviously wrong with me. I'll add it to the list of other things that I have wrong with me. But the third one, which is also very very, very good. I'm not even going to re- reveal it to you until you see the full picture here. But this might be one of my own personal favorites. The old traditional poker. There's nothing wrong with this, okay? Just because it's simple doesn't mean we have to knock it, okay? And so I'm going to unopen a huge controversial topic here, all right? Let's say we're at a campfire. It's great. It's awesome. We're having a good time. And I bring out brats or hot dogs, or some form of cylindrical meat, and I say, hey, we're going to roast these, okay? Some of y'all will take the hot dog and put it this way, horizontal. Some of us who are smart will put it on vertically, right? Because then you extend it here so you don't burn yourself. Then you got one here, one here, and then you got it here. Now, I will say I've been a vertical believer for most of my life, but today, I just broke our poker. Got too excited. When you put it on horizontally, I've, I've, I've been just enlightened today, okay? This is the whole discussion before church. When you put it on horizontal, one, you can stack more hot dogs on your poker than just your, your, your 
normal too. You can get four hot dogs on there. But then the thing that absolutely blew my mind in 27 years, I have never thought about the person who's a horizontaler said, hey, if you have it horizontal, you can poke the bun through the tongs and pull off the hot dog without burning your fingers. Is that not the most genius thing you've ever heard in your entire life? I was like, I hear I've been sitting here like, you know, you're burning your fingers and it's a whole mess. Like, I, I am enlightened. So thank you to the person who had done that because uh, you've now made me a horizontal believer. But here's what I will say, okay? Outside of a hot dog or a brat, you cannot go wrong. And there is one person in this room who I know for a fact has not had a s'more yet this year, which is almost more of a sin than not eating corn. Can I just get an amen on that? S'mores are like life. I mean, if you haven't had a s'more, you basically haven't had water. S'mores are life. And so the good old-fashioned s'more, which I talked about last week, which is the golden brown, rotisserie style, not the charred black, bottom-of-your-feet nastiness that is some of your marshmallows, okay? A good, normal, golden brown is better than all. Now, like, why the heck are you talking about smoked meat campfires? I like to, and I'm the pastor, so I can do what I want. But the second reason is because I may have left this poker in my garage a little bit. Anyone have some pokers that look like this, right? You got some marshmallow residue, probably some mouse feces on here, uh, spider webs. Like, nobody in their right mind is taking this poker and going, hmm, let's go camping and let's just throw a marshmallow on here, right? What are you doing with this? The first thing, you pull this out, you get to your campsite, you throw your kids in the camper, tie them down, duct tape them, and say, we're going to relax here. It's going to be awesome. And you pull out this. I'm not that. It was just a joke, okay? I'm not actually doing that to my kids, even though sometimes it would be nice. It gets peace and quiet. How many of you are pulling this out and just throwing a marshmallow on here and just roasting it? Some of you have some really strong immune systems. They'll say that. But most of you are going to do what with this? Stick it in the fire, right? You're going to put it right in the fire. You're going to burn all the junk off, and then you're going to put on that hot dog, and it's going to go the whole way down. It's crazy to me how just putting this in the flame sterilizes what God knows whatever is on there, but it does work. When you go to roast whatever you're going to put, you put it in the flame because the flame will burn away the junk. It'll burn away the extra stuff. It'll burn away all the germs. It'll sterilize it. It's crazy to me, I found this out this week, that the word fire is in the Bible 474 times. That's a lot. That's a lot, a lot. Like, I didn't know the word fire would be in the Bible 474 times. Like, if the word the was 474, yeah, it makes sense. It's a big book. But the word fire, that's a lot of times for just one word. And I think it's because all throughout this Bible, all throughout Scripture, we see that God often and symbolizes himself through fire. We find that there's this thing called the burning bush, where Moses comes face-to-face with this bush that's on fire, yet it doesn't get consumed. There's just a ball of flame inside of this bush, and it's not like just becoming sizzled charred. It's just, it's there. And basically what happens is it symbolizes the presence of God. It'd be weird if God was talking to you as a bush, but that's what happened to Moses. And so Moses is sitting here through the ball of fire. In, in Acts chapter 2, we see that the disciples are at Pentecost, and there is tongues of fire, right? It's a, it's a symbol. It's a manifestation of who God is. And then we find in Deuteronomy chapter 4, God literally defines himself as a 
consuming fire. I didn't realize this week until I started to really dig into this concept of fire that I realized God really does equate himself fire a lot, which is interesting to me. But it also kind of makes sense. Fire can be comforting and helpful, right? Like when you're having a campsite or you're, you're camping, you go have a fun day on the lake, you get sunburned, it's all good. The sun goes down, you get a nice west breeze, and it's kind of got a little chill to the air. It's getting to be fall here soon, so like all you pumpkin spice lovers and sweater lovers, and all, it, it's your time, it's coming. But when you have a fall fire, just that warmth of a fire is just comforting and awesome. Like if you're going to have a romantic getaway with your spouse or your person, you're sitting in front of the fire and you're playing checkers. Then <clears throat> you're like, are you, is he saying what I just think he said? Yep, moving on. It's, it's comforting. It's good. You can cook with it. You can do things with it. Fire is good. But in the same way that fire is helpful and conducive and controllable, fire is also powerful. Fire is really, really powerful. It's not far removed from when 2020, when the whole world was being flipped upside down, that we were handling COVID, we were also handling a massive forest fire in California, where the whole state was basically engulfed in a flame. It only takes a spark for this fire to take out half of the state and half of a forest. Fire is powerful. See, here's what happens. We serve a God who is so invested into our lives. We have a God who the Bible says that he knows the thoughts on our brain before we can even think them. He thinks and he knows what's going on. He knows when we stand up and when we sit down. He's a God who basically can know what we're doing, where we're going all the time. We serve a God who's so invested into our life that you could be driving down the road, walking through your house, at your son's t-ball game, taking a shower, using the bathroom. It doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing, what's going on. You have direct access to God because he's coming close to us. We can pray to him. We can speak to him. We can ask him of things because he's invested. He's close. He's, he's with us all of the time. But I think sometimes because God is so intimately connected to us, we forget just how majestic and powerful he really is. Sometimes we're, he, we're so close and he, he's, he's so helpful that it's awesome that we forget that he's God. God. We can control a fire until we can't. You can control a fire. You can, you, can, you can build a little ring of stones. You can have the TP. You can take the lighter fluid and go, guys, you know what I'm talking about, okay? The type of like, there's a pool of lighter fluid and you're back here going, We just like flames. It's just a part of it, okay? We can control fire as much as we want. We can put it in this vicinity, use it how we want it to, but until we can't. All of a sudden now, you're not listening to what your city is saying. Hey, it's a fire ban. Yeah, that's fine. Now half your yard's on fire because a little spark came out. Fire is helpful until it outgrows what we can manage. God is close to us, but he is also big. He's a comforting presence. God, would you help me? God, would you be with me in this? God, would you help me? But I think we forget sometimes that God's the one who actually holds power. He's an all-consuming fire, all-consuming, which means he wants 
all of us. He wants the parts that we need of him, but he also wants the parts that are messy. He wants the parts that are ugly. He wants the parts that we're ashamed of. God, I'm gonna come to church. God, I'm gonna do this, but I don't want to address this thing back here. This is my thing. Or I don't want to address this thing that I actually secretly struggle with that nobody else understands. Like, you can have 95% of me, God, but I'm holding on to this 5%. He hasn't worked that way. He's an all-consuming fire. He wants all of it. He's available and he's close to us, but we have to remember that God truly is powerful. I've got a three, almost four-year-old named Ellis. He is awesome. And if there's one thing I've learned is that um, they have a lot of personality and they have a lot of attitude, which they get from me, probably. Maybe. My wife's a strong, independent woman, and I love her, and she's awesome. But she, we, we kind of pass on a lot of personality. But Ellis, what's been so fun for him, is before you had to try to guess what he wanted from you, like, eh? What do you do with that? When they're one-year-old and they go, eh? That could mean, would you pick me up? Would you change the poop in my pants? Would you give me a snack? You don't know, so you just have to guess. But now that he's almost four years old, he can communicate, and it's really awesome. Dad, can we watch a movie together? Yeah. Dad, can you, can I, can I have a snack? He can't pronounce his S, so it's snack. Can I have a snack? Dad, can we go to T-Ball and then afterwards go to McDonald's and get a Happy Meal? Yes, bud, we can. That's awesome. He can communicate. He can ask me things. But because he's still understanding things and becoming into himself, he sometimes un- forgets who the parent is. I kid you not, this was three weeks ago. We're sitting down. It's been a crazy day. I sit on the bed with him. Dad, can we watch a movie together? Yes. We watch the movie he wants to pick. It's boring. It's animated. But you know what? I love hanging out with my son. And then he rolls over to me and goes, Dad, go get me a snack. Parents in the room, what do you think my response was? Yes, your eminence. Like, no. No, there's no shot that I'm saying, okay, bud, yes, I'll give you your snack, whatever you want. It's good. No, I was like, excuse me? I am your father. If anything, you go get me a snack. This is not how this works. This is not how it happens. Like, if this is what's going to be, like, your mom can tell me to do that, but you can't tell me to do that. Oh, my word, it was something else. We had, a, we had a teaching lesson in that moment. But I wonder, this is something that after all the dust settled, it's amazing to me how God sometimes speaks to me as a parent through the lens of me being a son to him because he goes, how many times have you asked me things that way? How many times have you said, God, give me this? God, I need this. God, would you do this for me? Instead of saying, God, what would you have me do? Instead of saying, God, hey, um, show me what I'm supposed to do. I think a lot of times because we're so intimately connected to God, because we're so close to him, we just think that he owes us everything we want. He owes us this. If he loves us, he would give me this because I want it right here, right now. God's powerful. He's the one who's in control. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet. With two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, 
holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth full of his glory. This verse is spoken by a man named Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet, which means God would speak to Isaiah, and Isaiah would go and speak to the people. So Isaiah's having this dream or this vision in which he's basically up in heaven, and he's in this temple. And God is there, the train of his robes, just the train of his robe. I mean, I've been to some weddings where the train stretches like from here to Oak Grove, but like this is like bigger than that. This is where the, 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 his robe, just his robe is filling an entire temple. And then you have these mystical angels called seraphim. I'm gonna be honest with you. These angels petrify me. This is not your little precious moments, angels. Like these guys got six wings, Two of them are flying. Two of them have, like, cover in their face and their feet. These are, like, some real hardcore angels that are literally just sitting next to God's throne and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. These angels will literally do anything God says because they're so enamored by who he is. I think sometimes we can diminish who God is because we just see it through our lens. God can move miracles, so he's going to move this miracle in my life. And yes, he can, but retrospectively, the magnificence and the big nature of who God is is so much bigger than anything we can see on this earth. I can't imagine what it would be like for Isaiah to be sitting there, and just the robe of God himself is filling this entire building. That's big. That's really, really big. Verse 4, we continue. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke woe to me i cried i am ruined for i am a man of unclean lips and i live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king the lord almighty then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand which he held had taken with tongs from the altar with it he touched my mouth and said see this has touched your lips your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for i understand that this story is a little bit more mystical than what I typically give you, right? This story is a little bit more like obscure and it's just tough to wrap your head around. It's different than when you can see a, and you can visualize like David and Goliath, like I talked about last week with a really big giant and a small little man like David. But this is like heavenly stuff. This is stuff that's very mystical, but it's all the more powerful when we actually understand it. Because the reason the angels were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty is because God was so powerful, so magnificent that they couldn't help but say that. The light was so bright, the, the, the perfection of God and the holiness. We understand this concept of holy for, for the most part. He was so holy that they couldn't help but just say, holy, holy, holy. So all of a sudden now, the story flips because Isaiah is seeing this. And he's seeing the heavenly angels. He's seeing God. He's like, oh my gosh. But then he becomes aware, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. Basically means, hey, um, I'm, I got something in my life. I make mistakes. In fact, I live among people who also make mistakes. Quite honestly, um, I don't belong here. You see, here's what happens. The reason he's saying I am ruined is because at this time in the Old Testament, if you were to see God face to face, you'd be worried that you would die. Because the, the contrast from how holy God is to how unholy we are, it doesn't, it doesn't fit. It's oil and water. God cannot be with something that's unholy. So Isaiah, 
this really good guy, this prophet, is up in the heavenly realms in this vision, and he's a good guy. He's done some awesome things, but he's sitting there and going, I am ruined. I'm ruined. I've seen the living God, and I am unpure. I don't have clean lips. Here's what is so interesting to me. Isaiah was a good guy. He did a lot of really good things for a lot of people. He was awesome. But I want you to see how he later equates good work. Very fascinating to me. Isaiah chapter 64. It might be on the screen. It might not. He says, all of our righteous acts, all the good things we do, all the stuff that we did this, we took the high road, we did this, this is all good. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. You want to know what like the actual Hebrew and filthy rags means in this context? It means like menstrual rags. And this, this, is the, this is the time and day before we had technology. And so when it was that time of the month for feminine products, y'all I'm uncomfortable here, I'm outside of my element. The rags they used to clean everything up are what Isaiah's equating the good things he did in his life to. That's a graphic and intense image. It's an intense thing. And so you're probably going, well, what in the world is the point of doing good things then? If, if we can't even equate to it, if we can't even like, do good enough to be holy, then how do we even do it? Exactly. We can't. We can't. Isaiah's going, I am unclean. I am ruined. He's sitting there just waiting for the punishment, just waiting for, for God just to strike him down. And what happens? Here come the seraphim, the creepy angels. Can we just call them that? The seraphim, which technically, do you know what seraphim means? It means the burning one. So the seraphim grab a coal off of the altar. They grab it with the tongs, and they come to Isaiah, and they put it on his lips, and then they say, your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. It's interesting. Because what he's saying is, remember, these seraphim, they are servants to God, so they have to do what God's saying. So God is seeing Isaiah. He's in his temple. God knows all things. He sees Isaiah for how unholy he is. And all of a sudden he says, hey, go take care of his stuff. Take this live coal and solderize his lips to clean them up. You're like, okay, you're losing me. Remember this? Stick it in the fire and what comes back? A clean throng. It's refining. Here's what's really, really interesting. The reason they're called the burning ones, the reason they took a live coal is because in this day and age, if you have jewelry, you had to refine it. You take this lump of gold, you take this lump of silver, and what do you do with it? Throw it in the furnace. Because all the stuff that's not gold, all the stuff that's not silver, melts under lower temperatures than the gold. So the gold needs to melt at this temperature, but all the impurities, all the imperfections are a lower temperature. When you throw it in the thing, it refines it. All the stuff that's not gold burns away. God is so intentional. God is so intentional with what we're doing. So when he brings this live coal to his lips, basically saying, I'm burning away the stuff that's not holy. I'm burning away the sin and the stuff that isn't going to be compatible so that you can be here. Be holy. Your sin is atoned for. Your guilt is gone. How 
amazing would it be if we allowed God to refine us? Here's what happens for me, honestly. There are things in part of my nature, a part of my thing that I don't like, whether it's pride, whether it's something, uh, Bethany talked about it, I worry and I have fear a lot. It's not inherently a sin, but it's not always, I don't have the most trust in the Lord because my mind gets all jumbled up. It's just, it's just real. And so sometimes God continues to work on that and refine me. He basically takes that metaphorical coal and puts it on my heart and says, hey, I'm going to stretch you. Hey, I'm going to refine you. Hey, I'm going to burn away that fear. I'm going to burn away that pride. I'm going to burn away that stuff. Can I just tell you, refining is not always an easy process. You got to refine over and over and over again. And let me tell you what, if an angel whose name is literally the burning one has to take a tongue to pick up this coal, probably pretty hot. So if he puts it on his mouth, it's not comfortable. It's not fun to be refined. It's not fun to do this. But I think sometimes where we get hung up is we think that God's refinement is God's punishment. God wants to refine us. He wants, why? Because what comes out on the other side of it is a better version of ourselves. He wants to refine us because he wants us to be the best version of who we are. See, Isaiah was sitting there. He was struggling. He was feeling like, you know what? I got all this stuff in my life. I'm unclean. He had all this self-doubt, this self-junk, all this stuff. But then God cauterizes him, refines him. I want you to see what happens next. This is my favorite part about the whole story. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Then, after the refining, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, I being Isaiah, here am I, send me. He said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Do you want to know why God wants to refine us as people? It's so we can have freedom. He doesn't want, God cares about us too much to be bound up in all of this stuff. Going back to my son for a second, if my son was like, hey, um, Dad, can I just go run circles in the, in the road? No, there's vehicles, you can get run over, and he might kick and scream. He might say, but I want to, but I want to. I want to run out on the road. I want to run in front of cars. I want to do all this. And so I might have to grab him by the arm and say, get out of the road. And at the time, he might say, why are you doing that? You you do all this different stuff, but it's because I don't want to get smacked by a car. I think sometimes when God's refining, God's working on our heart, we think that God's just a vindictive, holier than thou, eh, but he's wanting the best for us. He wants us to live in freedom. So when he refines, we think it's punishment. We think it's God just being a mean, vindictive deity too big for us. And in reality, he wants us to be free. And look what happens with that freedom. Isaiah says, here am I, send me. See, freedom inspires action. When you are free, you live different. When you are free, you do things differently. When you have that freedom that cannot be understood, it's way different. I'm a runner. I love to run. Last night, I decided to go running with long pants and and a a shirt. About died. It was hot out. It's amazing to me how when you just take off one layer, it feels like you have a whole new layer of freedom. 
just shedding one layer. I felt the, the breeze on my cool, hairy legs. It was awesome. I felt reinvigorated to go and run because there was less stuff weighing me down. Freedom inspires action. Isaiah is sitting there. He feels unholy. He feels unworthy. He goes, I'm not good enough to be here. I don't belong here. But when God refines him, God gives him that freedom and says, hey, now you do. Isaiah goes, wow. This freedom changed. And what's the response? It's going to do something. God says, who's going to go unto the people? Who's going to tell the rest of the world about this kind of freedom? Isaiah goes, I will. I will. Because he knows what that freedom is like. And he wants other people to experience it. This summer, I can't tell you how many people came to my wife and I and said, hey, have you seen the new Top Gun movie? From what I know, it's an amazing movie. I haven't seen it yet. But it's such a good movie. The original is fantastic, even though some people haven't seen it. I don't like Tom Cruise. Who cares? It's such a good movie. It's such a good movie. But we haven't seen it yet. But I can't tell you how many people came up to me and said, hey, have you seen the new Top Gun movie? No, we haven't. Oh, you have to go see it. It's such a good movie. So many people. I can't, I can't even count how many people have done that. Why? Because they had such a cool experience. They had such a good time watching it. They wanted me to experience that same thing. What if that was our response to faith? What if we were so in love with God? What if we let God refine us to experience the freedom he has for us? Because if he did, we would want everybody else around us to experience that same freedom. Because a genuine encounter with God will change you from the inside out, and it will give you a heart for people that cannot be replicated. Freedom inspires action. Here's the crazy thing. Isaiah had a tough message to deliver. Isaiah was being charged with going to the people of Israel who were stubborn, stiff-necked, running away from God as hard as they could. The message that Isaiah had for the people that God gave him was, hey, go to these people, go to this country, and tell them, hey, be ever hearing but never understanding. In essence, hey, good luck. You're going to have to tell everybody else around you that either turn to God or good luck. That's not a way to grow your church, okay? That's not a way to be like, oh, cool, I want to come to God. Like, if you're going, this reminds me, basically Isaiah had the message of the people that I can't stand who are sitting on the corner of a Vikings game going, you're all going to hell. Cool, thanks, that's helpful. Not. But Isaiah nonetheless had this call to go and deliver a tough message. And the reason he did it so eagerly, the reason he did it so well was because he had the freedom. He had the refinement. God had worked on his heart, on his soul, where he could go and live in such a way that it was refined. God's not calling us to live our faith on a cruise ship, He's calling us to be on a battleship. God's not looking to refine us so that we can just be presentable to him. Uh-uh. God refines us so that we can have an experience and moments with him that change 
inside out in such a way that we do the same with other people. I used to think that telling people about God was saying, hey, you should believe in God. And I struggled with that. I was like, that just seems so in your face. But here's, here's the difference. God has moved enough in my life. God's been doing enough in my life where I just know without a shadow of a doubt, he's faithful, as Beth was talking about. He's here. He's going to come through. So now when people ask me about things, it's just natural. Hey, like, so you pastor a church? Yep. Cool, I'm not very religious. <laughs> Neither was I. They were like, what? What do you mean by that? I was like, honestly, I didn't even necessarily know what I believed in high school. But God was here for me in this situation, and this situation, and this situation, and this situation. I doubted him here, but he came through here. And all of a sudden, now when you start telling your personal experience, your refinement, all of a sudden people go, huh, I kind of have a similar story. Huh. What if God could do that in my life? God's not looking for you to be holy or good enough because he already paid the price for that. He already did that. We just have to accept it. We just have to say, God, you know what? I accept it. As we come into this place every single week, as we come into church, we do all this stuff. Here's my challenge. I always want us to be growing and developing in who we are, but I always want us to remember that it just comes down to who Jesus is. The core of every message I'm ever going to preach is anchored in the fact that God is basically that seraphim who is saying, your sin is atoned for, your guilt is taken away. Isaiah did nothing to earn it. Isaiah did nothing to be able to get that refining, but he just accepted it with open arms. The same is true of our salvation to Jesus. You can do all the wrong stuff. You can make all the wrong mistakes, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because he's paid your way. He's given you a fresh start and a clean start. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says we are a new creation. Old is gone, the new is here. We're given a fresh start every single chance we want. But here's what I want to end with. I told you last week I got some big news. Let's drink this for dramatic effect. I got big news, news that I have been praying about, news that I have been working towards, news that I've been really, really working towards, because here's what I come to at the end of the day. God has been refining me in such a way as to inspire action to go into our community, into our world to make a difference for him. I don't want to just sit here and just become a better person but do nothing with it. I want us to always be saying, hey, let's go out and get those that are struggling. Let's go out and rub shoulders with those who are going through a tough time. Let's go out and live life with people in our community, in our state, in our country, in our world. Let's let Jesus do something new and powerful in this world. But I've also realized at the same time, I can't do it alone. We have an amazing staff. We have an amazing volunteer, but at the end of the day, I've realized God, as he's refining me, he's saying, you know what? Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you take a step of faith? I was like, God, I'm taking about 25, so what's one more? We'll continue to step out in faith because we don't have an option anymore. We're this far, and you've never let me down yet. So God has been stirring and stirring and stirring me, and I've realized that I am so limited in what I can. 
but God works best through our weakness. And as I've been going through this whole process, I've realized the heart that I have for the community, the heart that I have for our youth is so much bigger than I. So I need this something new, fresh in our church, in our life. So for the last few months, we have been praying, we have been strategizing, we have been looking high and low for someone who can come join our staff and be a part of what's going on here at the bridge. Who can take the torch and be there for our youth and for our community and everything. And I, 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 tell, I told some of our students that this week, and they didn't cry, so I must not be a good youth pastor. But what ultimately came to our decision here is I realized that I care about my youth students too much to let them not get the best version of me. I care about them too much to not let them understand that you get my fullest attention, my fullest devotion. And so I looked, when I say high and low, I mean like I got handed a list of names who are, who are youth pastors, who, who are, are, are ready to go. And I looked at him, I prayed through him, and I said, you know what? Like, no offense. All, I know every single one of these names. They're all fantastic people, but they're not the right fit. So we prayed, we prayed, we prayed. And in true God fashion, he opened up the perfect person. I was like, God, you're really putting this person on my brain? Uh-huh. That's not going to work. Uh-huh. God, that's like impossible. Yep. Go after it. Sure enough. He did. He opened a door. So here's what I'm going to tell you, okay? Big things are coming this fall. I'm going to give you one layer at a time. But I want us to just celebrate and rejoice in the fact that there's a youth pastor who's going to be joining our staff. There's a lot of questions you probably have, a lot of things that are probably like, what in the world's going on? How's this going to work? Are you still going to be involved? Yes. You can take the youth pastor out of the church. can't take yeah, you get it. I love you students. I'm never not going to be involved. I'm going to be like that annoying gnat that's just floating around here and is always involved in everything because I love you students of our community too much to not be near them. But I believe that God is calling us to step out and do something big. And to do that, we're going to need more people with us to do it. And so here's what I'll tell you is that he will be here on September 11th for our kickoff, which is crazy. So can we just give it up for the Lord? I am excited. I, I, I am I'm doing all that, but here's what I want to close with. And, and Dylan, you can play that music as we get out of here because I want to pray, and I am sweating bullets up here. My wife got me a new shirt, and it's, like, very, very warm. So it's awesome. He is excited for fall. Guaranteed decorations are coming out today. Refining is not a fun process all the time. It's not always even painless. Sometimes it's very, very painful, actually. But God is doing something new in your life and in this community. And God is big. The, the robe of his, the hem of his robe fills the temple of this thing. God is so big, so powerful that there's nothing that can possibly hold him back. There is things in your life that probably, as we talked about last week, were like giants, like Goliath. 
mental health struggles, health issues, financial issues, relationship issues. There are some things in your life that are so big and you're saying, God, move in them. God, do this. And I'm not saying he won't. But part of the refining process is understand that he's the one to control all things. So what if our prayers started going from God, do this, God, to God, will you help me? God, what would you have me do? Here's the whole twist, the whole thing. Sometimes your refining process is walking through the season you're going through right now. Sometimes the seasons you walk through in your life are the very things that God uses to refine you. As tough and as debilitating as they are, they are refining you, they are shaping you, they are helping you become all that God's called you to be. Don't neglect it. Don't let go of it. The seraphim spend all day long going, holy, 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 holy. Their, their eyes are on him the entire time. I believe if we could keep our eyes on him, he would refine us through our circumstances. He would refine us through the stuff we go through. Refining is not always painless. Walking through your season right now, it's not going to be painless. There's going to be tough moments and tough days, tough seasons and tough years. But I believe God's going to use it to refine you. And you'll come back on the other side, a stronger, better version of yourself with a greater awareness of who he is. And so next time when you're walking through another refining process, guess what? You're going to be bringing somebody with you because you've lived it. The very thing you're walking through right now might be the very thing God's going to use years from now to help somebody else walk through the same thing. So hold on tight. Hold on to him. Ride the way. Because refining always has a purpose. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, I know you are good. God, I know you can give us a fresh start. You can give us all the things that we desperately need. God, you are close, you are intimate, but God, you are God. You are in control, you are big. So God, I pray for those in this room who are walking through a season of refining. They're walking through a season of trial and difficulty. They're walking through things that are tough and and confusing and debilitating. But God, I just pray that today they would have a renewed vigor, a renewed perspective knowing that God, that you're with them. They're not walking through this storm alone. They're not walking through it without any power behind them. God, you are right there holding them, picking them up, taking them through this season for a purpose, for a reason. So God, may they feel it today as they walk right out these doors back into their battle. May they not feel defeated, but may may they feel empowered like David was to go and face their Goliath. But God, for everyone else in this room, whether they've been going to church their whole life or not, the reason we're all here, the reason we can have that power is because of what your son Jesus Christ did for us. The reason your son Jesus Christ was holy. He was perfect. But he took on my sin and the sin of those in this room and died unholy. That when we ask for forgiveness, just like the coal on our lips, we can know our sin is atoned for, our guilt is taken care of. Jesus, give us 
You make us clean. You make us holy. We thank you for that. God, go with us today as we prepare for this fall. Be with us as we go out these doors. We're thankful for you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.